With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 45 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it because I'm coming to you live from Munich, Germany. And I'm here at the Men's World Under 18 Championship, which is actually taking place in cities that flank uh, Munich in Kaufbaren and Landshut. So uh, centralized location here in uh, Munich to get to both venues by train. And uh, it has been an experience so far, a great tournament. Um, the This podcast is being recorded after the completion of the preliminary round, heading into the playoff round. So by the time some of you listen to this, it may already be over. But as of right now, Team USA is the number one team in the, in the tournament, the only team that went perfect 3-0 and um, in the start. As you may recall, Russia and Belarus not allowed in this tournament, so they made this an eight-team tournament, so a shorter preliminary round with just three games per team. And it uh, doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. You don't have a, a, a large margin for error. But as Sweden showed, you win the right games, you can still get through. They lost their opener to uh, Latvia and then ended up beating Switzerland and Finland to claim first place in the group. And they have a date with Germany, which has yet to win a game. Uh, but the Germans have been playing, you know, for not winning a game. They played decently well. They gave put up a fight against the Czechs and the Canadians uh, before kind of getting pulled away from in, in both of those contests. But I'll tell you what, this is a great showcase for the 2022 NHL draft. A lot of top top players are here. Certainly Canada missing quite a bit uh, with the CHL playoffs ongoing. They don't have a single QMJHL player here because their season wasn't over when the team needed to be named. And then the playoffs going on the OHL and WHL really limits their player pool. So that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of the tournament. But uh, the, the quarterfinal matchups, as they are, uh, will be USA versus Latvia. Uh, they're USA, the top-seeded team in the tournament. Then you've got uh, Sweden versus Germany. And you've got Canada versus Finland. And then you've got Switzerland versus the Czechs. So that is going to be a very uh, uh, interesting quarterfinal round. I will be heading over to Kaufbaren, where Canada will be playing... Um, Finland, uh, I think that's the more important game for me to look at from a draft perspective. Um, I have seen the U.S. play once so far here in Landshut on the first day. 
Um, and it just the way the schedules worked out, I have to, you know, do this for the NHL draft as well. Um, if you want, you can see my full player reports from that first game, which was USA Canada, um, on Hockey Sense on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. $6 a month, $54 a year for a subscription that is a subscriber exclusive. You can also check out a number of other things. There is a seven-day free trial as well. You click on the link, you put in your info. If you don't want to continue it, make sure you cancel before that seven-day free trial is up. And then uh, if you would like to continue, well, thank you very much. It, it helps me do things uh, like this. Um, I, I'm here on behalf of Daily Faceoff, uh, but also working on things for Hockey Sense. So um, it's a bit of a joint trip between my two ventures there and uh, really excited to be here. And you can also get over to dailyfaceoff.com to read some of my dispatches. I had a preview for the tournament and also uh, a, a kind of a recap of, of the tournament so far. There will be another one there on Friday. So make sure you are staying close, closely tuned to that. Very excited to, to be here um, in Germany and trying to do the best I can to uh, make it worthwhile for, for everybody and hope that you guys are getting something out of it. Uh, today's podcast is going to be a Q&A podcast. Um, even though I do have some people here, um, you know, recording and logistics and all that other stuff, um, you know, I just didn't feel like I could get to it right away. Um, so I wanted to do a Q&A podcast and boy, did you guys have a lot of questions. I put a, a call out and um, basically just saw, wow, we have a ton of questions that I need to answer, and I'm excited to do it. There's some about the under-18 worlds. There's plenty about the 22 NHL draft. There's plenty about um, prospects that are already drafted and some that have recently signed. So we will get to all of that here in just a minute. Um, do want to remind you, if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, or if it's not the first time and you've listened to it regularly, please leave a, a kind rating and a review, uh, and, and also subscribe to the podcast. It helps an awful lot if you do that. Let's the gets the name out and the word out. So, written reviews are always welcome. I really do appreciate those uh, because they make me feel good typically, but also because it helps us a lot with uh, with exposure and getting on the lists and and moving up the charts. And you know, I'm never really sure exactly how the algorithm is supposed to work, but you know, we'll give it a we'll give it a go and see uh, see what happens. But yeah, but you guys have been. So kind to me so far for just listening to the podcast. We've had a lot of great growth over the last year. And uh, yeah, I hope that you will continue to listen and enjoy. All right. So we're just going to dive right in because, I, like I said, I have about a million questions um, that I got to get to. And it's actually closer to 25. But still, a lot of questions to get to. And I want to make sure we hit all of them. I'm going to start in order. We're going to go with the U18 Men's World Championship questions first. Some of those will kind of overlap with the 22 NHL draft questions, which I will also have. Um, that'll come next. Prospects after that, and then the goofy questions that I always like to get and, and answer will come last. Um, although there are a few in this uh, this Germany one as well that absolutely we have to get to. So uh, let's answer some questions. All right, our first question comes from Chad Balcom, a frequent questioner. And Chad, always appreciate hearing from you. His question is, is this USA U18 team the best hockey team ever assembled? Um, well, they are 3-0. They have been dominant so far. They have a plus 17 goal differential. Um, they are, are especially talented um, and you know really look like a, an unstoppable force so far in this tournament. And you look at the, the scoring leaders so far in the tournament, 
Isaac Howard is is the top guy. Six points. He had six points through the first two games, including five goals, a four game, four goal effort against Canada. Logan Cooley's got five points. Chet Cruz Lucius has five points. Rucker McGroarty has four goals so far in the tournament, and uh, you know Ryan Chesley has been one of the top scoring defensemen as well with four points himself. So you know they're playing very well. Um, there's no question about it. I think in terms of pure talent, you know I'd still take the team that ended up winning bronze in this in the 2001 team um, because you had Jack Hughes scoring at a, in a record clip, Cole Caulfield scoring at a record clip, uh, Trevor Zegris, who was playing injured in that tournament, still producing Matt Boldy, Spencer Knight. Um, you know, if we were going to compare the two teams, then I would say at, at least at this level, I would say that one. Um, you know, there have been teams that had less talent too that had more success in this tournament. You know, I go back and, you know, the, the, the 91s, the first team that I worked with uh, when I was at the National Team Development Program, you know, didn't they, they had to call up quite a few guys from the U-17 team uh, just to be able to field a, you know, a competitive team. They ended up winning uh, the gold. It was a very difficult tournament. They actually lost to Russia in the preliminary round. And that Russian team had Kuznetsov, Tarasenko. Um, you know, they had a bunch of, of quality guys that, that would eventually become NHL players. And, you know, they, they had a tense tournament and they, they found a way to win. Um, it was a really special time. You know, that was the first team that I was a part of in my career that, you know, had won uh, something of that magnitude um, on home ice in Fargo as well. And, and so I always say, you know, like that team certainly wasn't the best on paper. They, they had first rounders. They had Jack Campbell. They had uh, as an underager. They had Cam Fowler and, um, you know, some uh, some other guys that, you know, ended up being pretty good NHL players on that team. Uh, but yeah, it's it's always interesting to watch these teams and how they kind of operate over the course of a season and then into this tournament. Um, you know, anything can happen. As we saw with the O1s, they ran into a hot goalie in Yaroslav Askarov in, in Sweden a couple of years ago. They ended up losing, um, and then Sweden ended up winning in overtime in that uh, in that final against Russia uh, with Lucas Raymond scoring a hat trick. So you know that was you know. Those, those teams, I mean, they're really special. I think the 97s as well. I mean, you know, how, how can you not say that group with, with Austin Matthews? And i got to pull up that that full roster real quick because, um, you know, that was probably one of the best of, of, of their, you know, their whole run there. Um, and that team, Austin Matthews had 15 points in the tournament. That team had Austin Matthews, Matthew Kachuk, Jack Roslovic, Colin White, Clayton Keller as an underager, um, Jordan Greenway, Christian Fisher, Luke Cunnan, Troy Terry, uh, Caleb Jones. The, I'm just mentioning the NHLers: Charlie McAvoy, Tage Thompson. Um, you know, those are the guys that, that that reached the NHL. And Jake Jake Attinger was their third goalie in that tournament. He didn't actually play uh, very much, um, but he didn't play at all. But he was their third goalie. Um, so a lot of NHLers on that team as well. And I think there are quite a few NHLers on this U.S. team. They're built a bit differently. Um, you know, I think a lot of these teams have have often had, you know, quality defense and and you know have made. Uh, I think this team's defensive core is not as deep as some of the ones that they've had in the past, but um, but it's a, it's a good team. It's a good team. So uh, that's uh, that's my two cents on that whole uh, question there, Chad. Thank you for it. Um, this next one comes from Dan, and this is specific to. One of the USA players. Where do you think Isaac Howard will go in the draft? His rankings are somewhat all over the place, but his numbers suggest he should go somewhat early in the first. 
Yeah, you know, it's always interesting, Dan, you know, to say, okay, well, he's been one of the biggest producers in this national team development program in its history. He's top 10 scoring all time. Uh, he started off with the four-goal game against Canada. And I'd say that, yes, he's helping his draft stock right now. I mean, he has 77 points total this season. Six points here so far at the under-18 Worlds. Um, you know, he's been a highly productive player over the over the course of his career. He was really good in the USHL games this year with 37 of his 77 points against USHL competition. Um, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing for him is, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, size. He needs to get bigger, stronger. Um, you know, I think that his skating is fine. It is not amazing. Like, you know, at, at the, the guys that are under six foot typically have to have, you know, that extra gear. I think he, I think he can get there. I don't think his skating is an issue. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, does he have that burst that you kind of need at that size? And yeah, you're right. The, the rankings are all over the map for him. He's always been in the top 15 range for me. Um, I would say that there was a period of time in the last few months where, you know, I wasn't seeing it as well. I didn't see him, um, you know, I, I didn't see that game to game consistency in terms of effort and different things that, that I wanted to see. And I was starting to think maybe he would dip. But at this tournament, he's, you know, been able to take games over uh, and play extremely well. Him and him and Frank Nazar have been absolutely magical together in this tournament. And I, you know, I, I still think that he's probably a top half of the first round, maybe right in that 15 to 20 range. Um, I don't see how he goes much later than that, just because there aren't a lot of players with a dynamic element in this draft. And, and he has it, I feel. Um, I feel like his, his skill level, his ability to shoot, his ability to find time and space, his hockey sense, it's all, it's all there. Um, so really good player and, and a guy that's getting rewarded in this tournament. And, and this goes into the next question from at Brook 15 Isaac Howard, Hobie Baker? So Isaac Howard's going to Minnesota Duluth next season. He's probably one of the most high-profile recruits that they've had, boy, in a long, long time. Um, I'm thinking back, like Justin Falk was a pretty high-profile recruit as a second-round draft pick. I mean, we're talking about a guy that could be a top-20 pick in the NHL draft, and Minnesota Duluth tends not to get those guys. They, they don't they don't get the, the, the very tippy-top of the players. They still win, though, and that's probably why Isaac Howard is going there, and he's a native of Hudson, Wisconsin, so, you know, he's... He's uh, he's able to get over there and 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 go play for for Minnesota Duluth, and he's going to really add a dynamic element to that team that that I don't know that they've had um, as much of. Uh, you know, there's certainly guys that 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 are really good players. You think about guys like Alex Iafalo and um, uh, you know Noah Cates and 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 players like that. And they, you know, Carson Kuhlman, like they they might have speed, they might have this work ethic, they might have grit, you know, whatever. But we haven't seen an elite scorer like an Isaac Howard go there and, and Howard now has 32 goals this season um, at the NTDP. And I think anytime you crack 30 at that program, you've had a really strong, especially as an under 18, you've had a really strong season um, in the goal scoring department. And so, you know, but getting back to the question of Hobie Baker, I mean, I think it's really difficult for true freshmen to win Hobie Bakers. You have to have a, a superstar season. Um, I don't foresee Isaac Howard, you know, scoring 70 points next year, like Jack Eichel had to, in his Hobie Baker year, Kyle Connor scored 71 points and still didn't win it. Um, you know, and I think that scoring in the NCHC is, is difficult. It's really difficult. And it's going to be difficult for Howard when, to make that adjustment. And there's always an adjustment for these players. The guys that have played at a high level at the NTDP, that played big minutes in the USHL, you know, they, they can make that transition more easily. But I do think that 
Isaac Howard in particular um, is a guy that's going to need some of that adjustment period um, to to go in the rough and tumble NCHC and really you know have to find his way because the the offense is not going to come easy there. Um, not that it, that that it has for him this season, but I just think it'll be a lot more difficult. So I, I would say no. I don't anticipate he's going to win the Hobie Baker, but you know there's a, certainly an opportunity for him to to be one of the top freshmen in the country, and you know, that's pretty darn good too. Uh, this one comes from at Burner Dario. I know there's still a ways to go, but do you feel that anyone of Mitchkov, Bedard, Fantilli has an edge over the other two for the 2023 draft? I I do. Um, Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard are playing here. Matt Mitchkov is not because well he's not available um, because Russia's not here. Um, and Mitchkov had an incredible tournament last year. One of the most remarkable, I mean, the most remarkable goal scoring tournament from a guy in his draft minus two at that, at that event with 12 goals and um, just a really remarkable player in so many different aspects. But I would say that Connor Bedard is certainly establishing himself as the number one. The thing about him is, so he's got, he scored 51 goals this season, had a hundred points in the WHL. The, he's the youngest player to reach both of those plateaus in the league in, the, in its history. He is one of the more dynamic goal scorers that I've seen personally, um, just because of the different ways that he scores. His shot is elite. Um, he gets to the area as well. The one thing, the two things that I think will, will in concert, at least create a seed of doubt and will get picked apart over the course of time is he's not very big um, and he's not the fastest skater. He is a good skater. He has good footwork, but he doesn't have explosiveness. Um, and, you know, when there have been a lot of Connor McDavid comparisons because of how dominant he has been as a scorer, um, but I think that, you know, McDavid was also able to blow everyone away with his skating, which Bedard isn't going to be able to do. But I do think that his hockey sense and his scoring ability, his net sense, his, the, the, the way that he scores goals and the fact that he can have you know he has one of the best shots that i've ever seen for his age forehand backhand what have you um i think he's going to be a special player now adam fantilli's been really interesting in this tournament he doesn't have the same number of points if he's at three points so far in the tournament but he has 22 shots on goal um which by far leads team canada he is a, a bull in a china shop sometimes with his his just absolute size he, he does have some speed there's a little bit of pop to his skating um, he plays the game physically. There's some nastiness there, and then he has the touch to finish. Um, he's been the second line center here behind Bedard. I, I think that you know Fantilli's line has been as effective, if not more so, in, in certain instances. And the thing about Fantilli is he's so much more physically advanced um, than than some of his counterparts. And you also have to you know have to remember like this is a guy that has been. He's got two years of junior hockey under his belt. You know, Bedard's an 05, Fantilli's a late 04. You know, so there is that age difference as well. And not just that, but Bedard is a younger, um, you know, 05 as well. So um, that's kind of where there's a bit of a divide. But I would say that Fantilli is absolutely in the mix. He's he's big, six foot three, 192. You know, he has sc- scored 74 points in the USHL this season. Um, and, and 54, uh, 37 goals in 54 games. I mean, he's really been a special player and, and something, you know, that I think he'll, he'll be one of those guys, that the USHL hangs its hat on and 
um, you know, the, that, you know, will be one of the best players to have come through that, through that league. Um, you know, I, I think there's a chance he goes ahead of Mitchkov at this point. And, and it's, you know, I think Mitchkov is the better, the better overall player. But if you're picking in the top three and you know, you're not going to have him for an extended period of time and may never get him, um, you know, you, you can't take that risk. I don't think, um, I mean, I, I think that Mitch Cobb will come to the U S at some point, some come to the NHL, but he's under contract to, for, you know, four more seasons. So that's where you have to, to weigh the pros and cons and, and see what you feel like. But I mean, Fantilli, who will be going to the university of Michigan next year is looking like he's going to have a, a big time season and, and probably be one of the best freshmen in the country. And, you know, very well could, put himself on the map for the draft and in a way that, you know, we haven't even seen before. Um, maybe Eichel, you know, I, I think Jack Eichel certainly um, is a, is a, is a special player. And, you know, I think that that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to watch uh, to see if Fantilli can kind of match that. Uh, but that's, that's where I've got, you know, those three, I'd say like Fantilli definitely could challenge um, with a big season. And if, if, if Bedard falters, but I do think it's Bedard, at this point, there's just so much of a package there and the and the, the mental elements of the game he's so exceptional at. So I think that's another thing to uh, to consider. All right. This next one comes from Coyotes fans in Germany. After his serious injury, can Julian Lutz live up to the expectations of being one of the top prospects in the upcoming draft? Now, I know there's been a lot of hype about Lutz in, um, in Germany. And... Rightfully so. He's he's a, a very skilled player. He's got some some pro qualities for sure. Some NHL qualities. He's got good size, good hands. He's got a good shot. Um, he scored two goals against Canada. Um, he has got four points in this tournament so far, but he only played in 14 games this season uh, and had three points in those 14 games for uh, Munich. And it's always tough, you know, when you when you have a guy that's come off a big injury like this. You know, I don't know that he necessarily was ever going to be a legitimate first rounder. Um, I do think that he's going to be an early day two pick, uh, but I still think he'll be in the mid rounds. Um, you know, it's just a matter of you know finding the right team, finding the right situation, and if he can do that, then he's going to have a real opportunity to make something happen here. And you know, I'm I'm excited to see kind of where he goes. You know, I think this tournament, they're probably only going to play one more game. Um, you know, but I, I do think that the, you know, if you look at the overall body of work um, and you say, okay, well, this is a guy that has done some really solid things in his, in his young career and was on the German team last year as an underager. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a real good opportunity. Um but I, you know, I just don't think he's he's going to be in the top tier of the prospects. I think there are too many question marks at this point. But but I do think what I've seen here in Germany is you see some of those pro qualities that that you know, getting getting into the plays, being forceful, taking control of shifts, and he's done that a little bit. Um, and it's been tough because when you're on a weaker team, it's tough to you don't, your team doesn't have the puck as much. You don't have as many opportunities. I think when he has had the puck, he's looked pretty good. And I think he'll be a player that, that certainly a team's going to be happy to draft and happy to develop and kind of see where he goes. But, yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for him to, you know, be considered among the top prospects in, in this draft. All right. 
This next one uh, also deals with Adam Fantilli. Um, and just in general, this is a little bit kind of a hybrid question about this tournament and beyond because um, it's, it's also about the USHL. And Will Wright asked, last year was obviously an anomaly with someone like Matthew Savoy, but Adam Fantilli was already on the USHL path, and the Chicago Steel have tendered two top Canadians again this year. Do you think it will become a trend for more top Canadians to come to the USHL? Also, would you take Fantilli over Wright? All right. Now that is a tough question. So Shane Wright was who we're talking about, just to make sure everybody's clear on that. Of course, the projected number one prospect for the 2022 draft. And we're, we're comparing guys. And, and it's very interesting that you asked this question because I was having this conversation with a friend. Um, so I'm going to start there with Fantilli versus Wright. Um I think I would still take Shane Wright at this point. I think the hockey sense is a little bit better. I think the physical tools for Fantilli are better. I like his skating better. I like his 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 tenacity, his meanness, the ability to play physically, his power game. I appreciate that more. Wright has a better shot, more more deadly and accurate shot. I think he's got. A, I think he's a better passer. So I think the hand skills are better for Wright. But the explosiveness of Fantilli at least makes it a conversation. Um, so I think that that's something. That, that would be really interesting to debate uh, over time. Obviously, Fantilli now gets another year to develop and figure out what kind of player he's going to be. Um, but I think, you know, there would certainly be a conversation about him at the number two spot right now um, and and probably a, a pretty short one if, if, it, if it came down to it because he is an 04, um, you know, so you're he's, he's not far removed from this draft class in terms of age. But, yeah, that's a really interesting one. As for the first part of your question – so the Chicago Steel uh, did sign a tender to Macklin Celebrini, who is the number one pick by the Seattle Thunderbirds in the WHL's Bantam or the WHL's U.S. based player draft. They have two separate drafts now in the U.S. based player one. So so Celebrini went number one there, and then Michael Haig for from the Toronto Junior Canadians was signed. So now they have two tenders for next season. Those are two very highly regarded players. Haig was looking like he could be a top, you know, top five pick in the OHL draft this year. He's opting for the the USHL route now. The Canadian, the 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 Chicago Steel have done a phenomenal job of, of attracting tenders in the last few years and, and 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 getting players to come play for them. Owen Power has now you know number one draft pick. Adam Fantilli going to be a top three draft pick next year. Um, you know, they've, they've had, they've had others as well. Um, and, and certainly the program that they've created where, where they're developing top players, it's, it's showing that there's a, there's a place that you can play outside of the OHL, uh, that will develop you in an elite way. Um, and I do think that power showed, you know, that, that path was the right one for him. He wanted to go to school. It was part of the whole plan was that he wanted to, to play the, in the college hockey route and it really worked for him. You know, you look at other guys that have taken the college hockey route, and it's not just out of the USHL, but but other leagues like the AJHL, this BCHL, you know, all those other leagues where players are coming in, like a, like a Kale McCarr, goes to, you know, gets drafted, goes to college, develops for two years, and then he's a Norris Trophy candidate. Adam Fox, Norris Trophy candidate. Quinn Hughes, Norris Trophy candidate. You know, regardless of where their 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 development paths are. So they're, they're I think, I, I don't think, though, like you know, will it be a trend? I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a widespread trend because, you know, USHL not all USHL teams are created equal. Not all of them are going to be um, able to attract the level of player that the Chicago Steel are at the at the present time. 
Um, and so that changes things. Like, but you look at Muskegon. Muskegon had a, a great success. They they had Andrei Svechnikov. They they also tendered Ivan Marashashenko, who would have been a top pick this year, but there were visa issues during the pandemic, and he couldn't come over. Um, so you know, top players like that are also making that decision to come to the USHL. And then I think also it did help that Matthew Savoy spent a year here. You know where. The, the WHL was going to have a shortened season, so he ends up getting extra games. Cole Sillinger, same thing, becomes a first-round draft pick, and Cole Sillinger goes straight from the USHL to the NHL. Two unique situations because both those guys were on the major junior path prior and then had to come back this way. But it's more and more proof that that is a league where you can develop a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, uh, you know, rapport with. Uh, with with scouts with, with and show show them what you can do because it's a tough league to play and it's a tough league to score in and when you do it speaks volumes so um, I think it's uh, I think it's a really uh, really interesting place to to play and I think a lot of the, I think it's a well coached league and there's a lot of players there that uh, that have gotten better and have shown that they can make it make it go all right we got a, just a couple more questions about. Germany um, and the under 18 worlds. The first one is from my pal Stephen Ellis, who's been on this podcast before. How's the beer? Um, in a word, good. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Germany, as you know, is is a place where where they can definitely uh, drink their beers and uh, make their beer. And I have enjoyed every one that I've tried. So uh, and I've tried a few. So yeah, enjoying the beer and one of the nice byproducts of working. Um, in Europe is is getting to experience the local uh, the local fare the food the beer everything lots of pretzels um, lots of, of of great times here in Bavaria and uh, thank you for asking now this one made me laugh Poppleton Pink asks do the North American lads get to have a few beers as the drinking age over there is sixteen uh not no I don't think so. I, I'm not in the same towns as them, so I'm not scouting out the bars uh, to see if anybody snuck out. Uh, but I, I I would highly doubt um, at this stage, at this importance of the, the tournament, that any of those players would be trying that. Um, after the after the championship game, I have no idea. But I, I would imagine that the leadership of both uh, of, of the, the two North American federations would be uh, not on board with that. So <laughs> that's just my thought. And then at RRS, are the scooters good to get around town? And I can say from experience they are. However, um, I did crash one. Uh, I I got a little bit like I was trying to evade some pedestrians and managed to find a bike rack instead. So I was able to veer off and I tried to hop off the scooter and. Uh, didn't go so well because I didn't hit the brake quick enough as I was simultaneous of jumping off of it, and uh, I may have bit it. So otherwise, great though. I you know they've got all these lime scooters just kind of lying around and they're outside of you know everywhere. You know your hotel, your your whatever restaurant you just ate at. You know things like that. So it is nice when it's crowded in the streets. No, it's not as it. I, w- I wouldn't do that. Um, I try to wait until like, you know, later at night when the streets are clear and I, I've, I've did it twice, one successful, one not as successful, but I always reached my end destination and it's actually a very affordable way to get around town 
a little bit quicker than you could on foot. So I will say yes, they are a good way to get around town. Just be real careful when you do it. All right. Now we're going to move into specific 2022 NHL draft questions. Um, this one, first one comes from Shokunin. Comparables for Logan Cooley and Simon Nemitz in the NHL. Your top 10 draft eligible prospects for the upcoming draft. And do you see Lane Hudson getting drafted in the first round? So Logan Cooley and Lane Hudson are both at the under 18 world championship. Cooley's had five points so far. He's played well. I don't think he's been exceptional, but he's played well. Um, you know, certainly as a guy that, that you're looking at as a, a number one pick, you'd hope that he'd play uh, a better. I, I think, you know, I've moved Shane Wright ahead of him on my board. I did have Logan Cooley at the one spot coming out of the World Juniors and some of the other things that, you know, I just seen he was really pushing the pace and really, you know, making things go. Um, I haven't seen that as on a, on a consistent enough basis. And I have a, a couple other concerns just about, you know, his, his, how sometimes he can overcomplicate the game and it doesn't always make the best decisions with the puck. So, um, those are some of the things that, that kind of struck me. You know, I do think that Logan Cooley at his best has Braden Point potential. Um, I think that he plays the game quickly. He scores a lot. He's he's responsible defensively. He has good effort and tenacity. Like, I think that's the kind of player that he could have ultimately, you know, aspire to become. Similar size profile, similar position. You know, the guys under six foot that, that play center. You know, there, there, there are doubts about their ability to do that. You know, sometimes they do have to move to the wing. Maybe Cooley does end up moving to the wing. But I like him as a center. I think that he plays well there. Um, and I like Braden Point when he plays center too. So, you know, I'd say that that's probably close. Um, as far as uh, Nemitz goes, that's a good one. You know, I think I think there are certainly some, um, you know, some, some really good qualities, some good puck moving qualities. Like I think like in terms of size and and – you know, the passing ability and things like, I think there's some Adam Fox elements there, but I, I, Adam Fox is one of the smartest hockey players I've ever covered. And I don't see that, that Nemitz's hockey sense is anywhere close to that level. You know, I think in terms of how he looks, how he moves the puck, you know, sure. You know, and the, but I just think he makes way too many mistakes with the puck um, as well to, to say that that's, you know, that's, that's an accurate comparable. I think, you know, he's more, Man, it, it, he is a tough one because I, there are so many things I like about him, but then I just have concerns in, in other ways as well. Um, and whenever you do comparables, you're always trying to think of like who's the best possible player to compare them to, as I just did with Logan Cooley and Brayden Point. Um, this is why I don't I don't love doing the comparisons game very much um, because it's 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 pretty difficult to do it. But you know, I, I would say that. You know, probably um, a poor man's Adam Fox, I guess, with without the brain. You know, like just I'm not saying that that Nemitz doesn't have hockey sense. I just don't think he has. You know, the the we're talking Adam Fox who has elite hockey sense. So um, yeah, so I you know I just think that's somewhere in there. And for the top ten draft eligible prospect, you'll have to wait a little bit. We'll we'll be updating our uh, our draft rankings in the near future for daily faceoff. So I will hold off on that so that you can read it when it comes up. But as for as for the question about Lane Hudson, I think this is a question we all ask. And I would say if you ask most NHL scouts, will he go in the first round? I think almost all of them, not not all of them, but a lot of them would say no. Um, the size is a factor to them. Um, it is a concern for them. Um, and, 
you know, the lack of precedent in terms of, you know, there aren't many guys that play defense in the NHL at five foot eight, 148 pounds. Now he's not always going to be five, eight, 148, you know, as he gets stronger and quicker and all those things that, that that'll help. He was over a point per game this season at the national team development program, which for a defenseman is not a, a, an incredibly common thing. Um, it is, it is something that, you know, it, it, honestly, it's, it's pretty rare. Um, and it's one of the things that, that I think makes him pretty special. Now, in terms of all time scoring for a single season by a defenseman, Hudson has 59 points this year. That is six behind Cam York, who's the all time leader for single points, single season points by a defenseman. It's even with Adam Fox it's ahead of Quinn Hughes. Uh, it's ahead of Noah Hannafin. Um, you know, so there are a lot of players that that Lane Hudson has outscored. He is one of the more dynamic puck movers that I've personally seen um, in his position. He is incredibly smart. He defends very well, despite the size. He defends very well. He is around the puck a lot. I understand the concerns around him. And I understand why scouts are going to be hesitant to draft him. But I personally feel that he has the opportunity to be uh, a mold breaker, a guy that that finds a way. I don't think that that's enough for you to draft that player in the first round to say, is this guy going to break the mold? I need to be 100% confident before I say, yes, he can do that. And I don't think I'm there yet. And I, I had him in the first round at the at at the top. I hadn't seen as many of the defensemen at that point. Um, that you know, and I think that there are there are defensemen in this class that have the size profile, the hockey sense, that you know, the the the, the playing ability um, that you, you feel more comfortable with. But I'll tell you what, like if if I haven't done my final rankings, but if, if Lane Hudson isn't in the first round, I doubt for me he would be outside of the top 40. Um, just because I, I I really think the player has a chance. I, I do. I think there is there is a lot there. The brain, the the confidence, the tenacity, just you know, the competitiveness, the drive. Um, you see it with him. And he is so creative and he makes so many plays that you just say you know, this guy thinks it at a high level. And when you do that, it can make up for a lot of your shortcomings. So that's why I think that Lane Hudson has a real opportunity to be a, you know, an early day two pick and probably not a first rounder, but an early day two pick uh, for the right team. And you always wonder, but I, I think the player's pretty darn good and I'm excited to watch him at the next level. Being college, he's headed to Boston University next year. All right. S1 comes from Paul. A bit of an odd question. Do you think there's a possibility that Shane Wright is underrated by scouts and media? Had he had this season last year and 120 points this year, would he be more of a surefire elite number one center? Really good question, Paul. I do think like a player in Shane Wright's position, they're always going to get nitpicked. But I think the reason this year is a little bit more, you know, he, he definitely picked it up over the course of the season. It's just, I think this entire class, we're, we're starting to wonder, like, who is going to jump up? Who's going to be the guy that raises their hand and says, you know, I'm the best player here? I think Shane Wright has started to do that. He's been a little bit more forceful. He's been, you know, he's been able to produce a, 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 at a really special level, just not, you know, relative to some of the other ones. 
and we understand he didn't play last season. You know, it took him a while to get going this year. He had to get you know, revved up a little bit. Um, you know, and and that's that's the way it goes. He did finish the regular season with 94 points in 63 games. Um, you know, so he he did really pick it up. 32 goals. You know, really solid season. Um, he had 66 points in his first year in the league at 15. Um, and had 39 goals, which was obviously eye-opening. This year didn't have as many goals, but 62 assists. I think he's really developed into a, a tremendous playmaker in addition to a solid scorer. Um, and, you know, he, he only looked okay at the World Juniors. You know, there wasn't a lot there, only two games, you know, and, and one point for him against kind of weaker competition. And, um, you know, but but still, I, I you know, I think, yes, if he, if he had this season – last year and then 120 points this year i think that we wouldn't have as many questions but you know i think there's concern about overall progression will he how much better is he going to get where's his ceiling um is he at a ceiling he's been more physically developed than his peers for a long time now that they've caught up is he still among the best i think that he thinks the game at such a high level that yes i would say as of right now he's still the guy um i think most of us are kind of on that you know, hey, he's probably the guy. Um, it's just a matter of if there's a team bold enough to to not listen to the noise. I mean, because there are enough there are enough people out there that are still not sold that he's the number one player. Um, and are they underrating him? Maybe they are, but it's all in the eye of the beholder. And whoever has that first overall pick, that's going to be their decision to make. I think it's almost always easier to not have the first pick because if you know, you think about the years of. Rasmus Dahlin versus Andrei Svechnikov, and and you know the the consensus was Dahlin, and Dahlin has definitely picked up his play in this last year. But you know, like Svechnikov has been outstanding, and so you always have those debates, and it's like, you know, the teams do feel pressure when there is a consensus number one to pick that player, and they may not want, they may not always feel that way. You know, you look back and. You know, I think the Devils are plenty happy with Nico Heischer, and but the next guy up that everybody said it was either Heischer or Nolan Patrick. Nobody talked about Miro Heiskanen, Kale McCarr, and Elias Pettersson as that potential guy. And now, now look at it. It's just the way it works. So, very interesting time uh, uh, to, you know, as as we as we talk about draft and we talk about the first overall pick it is not an easy position to be in because the, all the noise says it's this guy. But what if your scouts say it's that guy? You know, that's that's the thing that happens. So I do think there is an element of us nitpicking and, and, and underrating Shane Wright as a result, but I also think that there is some validity to the concern. And so that's, that's where I'm at on that one. All right, next one comes from Majo. Do you think a good world championship for Slavkovsky, Nemex, or Juracek could push them to the number one spot? I think there's one guy that it could happen for. I think it's Slavkovsky. Um, you know, just a, a chance to see him again in that setting, playing against NHL players. I think the the world championship is going to end up being a a tougher a tougher tournament than the Olympics was because of the the presence of NHL players. Um, you know, the, 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 the grind of the tournament, the length of the tournament. Um, but, you know, you look at what what uh, Slavkovsky did in the playoffs this year, seven points in 17 games. So scoring ahead of the pace that he was at in the regular season, I think that he started to make a push for number one. Obviously, the incredible Olympics that he had, 
um, you know, scoring seven goals, being named the uh, the MVP. So yes, if he has a good World Championship, there's certainly a chance that he could. Um, I mean, the other thing is, is you look at the size, the hands. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week who was just saying like he's he's special. He's just he just is. And you know, the numbers. The, the thing is, is that you look at the numbers and you say, well, well relative to his, historical comparables, his Liga stats are just not close to anybody that would have gone in that range um and so are we are we judging him too much on that olympic performance and so i think that we're always looking for more and more and more evidence and i think that slavkovsky with a big world championship similar to how patrick line um and capo caco had big world championship performances it started to create a little bit more of that doubt in whether or not the, the guy that was ahead of them was really number one. Obviously, Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, I think if you do those drafts again, those are the same two guys that you're going to pick, obviously. so But still, it creates that little that little bit of doubt. And, and so I'll be really interested to see how that all pans out here um, for, for Slavkovsky. I think Nemitz is is a good, not great defenseman, um, and I think that it's really if you are you have to be an exceptional defenseman to be number one. I do not see him as a number one prospect by any stretch, even though he's had a historical season in the Slovakian league. Um, you also look at his Olympic performance, and they couldn't put him out there. They didn't trust him enough to put him out there. Uh, whereas Slavkovsky eventually became a number one forward for them, um, and and so I, I think it'll be also difficult for Nemitz to get into the lineup regularly at the at the men's world championship level i think he's a great player i think he's a top 10 pick um i just don't see him as a number one and then Juracek, i think he's missed too much time there's too many question marks we're not en- entirely sure he's going to make the czech national team he has been practicing with them but if they get enough players back from the nhl um he may not play so i, I would say it's very difficult to see him going into that but i know there's a lot of people that really love his game uh, including me so i but i think that's a good question i do think slavkovsky has a chance um, and he'll give people something to think about. Now, this is a little bit interesting. MVP96 asks, hey, CP, what would you say your top 10 of the 2021 and 22 drafts combined would be? And I've been thinking about that because I've tried to think about where are this draft ranks compared to last year. We thought this was going to be a big, you know, a big year. Um, and I think be, like I think Wright, Cooley, and Slavkovsky are the only guys that I could find slotting in to the top 10 for next for from last year. I I would still, you know, the question is too is is Owen Power still the number 1 prospect? How high how much higher does Luke Hughes go? Where do you put Mason McTavish? Is he still the number 3 prospect? Like, you know, Kent Johnson is in that mix. So, I don't want to you know, I I would say right now I'd still have Power 1 and Beniers 2. I like both players a lot. Beniers has looked really good. Um, I would probably put Hughes at three, McTavish at four, and then Kent Johnson at five in that, you know, if we were doing just the just the redraft. I would then probably have Shane Wright fourth, McTavish fifth, Johnson sixth, Cooley seventh, Slavkovsky eight. And you could flip those two. I'm very close on those two right now. You could, I, I, I'm, you know. So I, I think that's kind of in that range. That's where, you know, you'd, you'd see it. 
um, a little bit more because I think that that's where the top five of last year's draft was so exceptional compared to this year's draft. Um, that I, you know, that's kind of where I feel like I would put it. Um, I'm trying to think because you did ask for 10. So I'm trying to decide now on the fly. I probably should have done this before I started recording, but I'm trying to decide now on the fly. Oh yeah. Sorry. So let's, let's back up the truck here. So we got one power, two Beneers, three, uh, Luke Hughes, four Shane Wright, five Kent Johnson, six Simon Edvinson. Sorry for forgetting you, Simon. Uh, and then I would put Slavkovsky, Cooley, Eklund. So there's your 10. So, um, so yeah, so that just to give you an idea of what the top of that looks like, you know, I would still say that the, that the guys in the top six of last year's draft are roughly in the same spots with the exception of just moving, um, moving, uh, flip-flopping right and McTavish and kind of bumping the rest down and then adding, uh, Slavkovsky and Cooley, uh, with Eklund at the end of that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're at. That's fun. So we got that. Thanks for that exercise and th and watch. I, I just did that on the fly. So we'll see if that actually makes any amount of sense. All right. At inside J money wants to know, what do you think will happen with the Russian and Belarusian prospects in the draft? How far will they fall? Are we going to see a record low for Russian players prior to the end of the cold war? Really good question. And an important question because we just don't know. Um, and I've been asking around, I think that there is a very good chance that most of the players that um, you'll see in this draft, um, you know, like let's say Danil Yurov. Danil Yurov is, you know, a consensus top 10 guy. I still think that there's a good chance that he's going to go early, but not super early in the first. And I think really once you... Once you get down the first round, you're not expecting that player for a while. You know, you're, you're thinking it's going to be three, four years before we even get the guy. Um, and so I would say that, that that allows you the patience and you say, well, this is a special player. We don't know what things are going to look like. We don't know. I mean, like it, you're, you're, you're asking this. What, what's going on in the world is so much bigger than the NHL draft. And that the you have to think of it in terms of how does this impact your business? And... You know, I don't think teams are afraid of like the PR element because I think that most people will separate Russian players from the conflict and, and what's going on in Ukraine because, I mean, they're 17 year old, 17 and 18 year old kids that have been, just been hockey players, you know, like, so I think that that's something that, you know, I don't think you're worried about the PR element. You're just worried about, hey, can we get a visa for him at some point? If we want him to come over, if we want him to play for a CHL team, are we going to be able to get him out of the country? Those are the kind of questions that you have to ask. Then you have other issues like, you know, Ivan, Ivan Marashchenko is one of my favorite players in this draft is unfortunately, you know, battling leukemia or, or sorry, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, actually saw him. He's in Germany getting treatment right now. So he actually came to the games. Um, so that was great to see him, uh, to see Ivan Rashashenko there. He's with his agent, Mark Gandler. And um, you know, I, I've, I, I understand that he's actually been meeting with NHL teams. So they're still doing their due diligence on him. Um, but, you know, what, what you'll see too, like uh, 
as as I'm recording this the night before, Ivan Morozov signed with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now he's been playing in in Russia. Um, just because he signed doesn't mean that the visa situation is going to be solved for a while. But if it is, he'll be able to come over and play for their AHL team at worst, maybe play for their NHL team next season. Um, so that's something that's uh, that's interesting to say the least. Um, but I do think that we'll see fewer players picked. I think most Russians will go later in the draft. I don't think you'll see very many in the second or third round. You could see a lot more in the fourth and fifth round. Um, there are enough players in this draft class. You know, since this isn't the particularly strongest class, I think it's okay to take those swings. Um, and, and I, so I don't know if it'll be a record low, but I, I certainly think that there will be fewer. Um, and the other thing too is that you know, for the last few months, nobody's been able to get into Russia to to actually go scout these guys. So it's been all off of video and, and they're still watching them. They're still watching them. So they're, they're at least tracking them. They're doing their due, due diligence and they're going to figure out what they have to do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still very interesting. Yeah, interesting in that time of, of, you know, how do we, how do we manage this? It's nobody's really ever had to deal with this in the NHL before. All right. The next one comes from Matt. He asks, why is nobody talking about Connor McGrath? I seriously believe he's a top 90 pick in 2022 after watching a few of his games this year. What is the consensus you're hearing about him as a prospect? Well, Connor McGrath is interesting in that, you know, he, he comes from the SJHL. He's currently playing for the Humboldt Broncos. And um, he's, he led the league in scoring this year. SJHL scoring, uh, he had 84 points in 56 games. He's got 10 points in 11 playoff games. He's committed to play at uh, Ferris State University uh, beginning in 2023-24. Um, I imagine he may be coming a little bit earlier as a result of that, but we'll see. Um, he's a, a re-entry to the draft. He, he was born just a few days short of the cutoff last year, um, but he he did not get picked. Um, you know, and obviously last year didn't really play. He had four four total games before everything got shut down. Um, so. It's always tough. I think players in the SJHL, it is very rare to see them drafted into the NHL. It's not impossible. Um, it does happen. Um, but I think, you know, league league strength, league bias certainly uh, have been, you know, they're, they're there. No question about it. But I'm sure... The season that he had has gotten him a lot of extra looks. Central Scouting did rank him this year, 128th in North America. So that suggests that there's a good chance that he'll get picked. I don't think it'll be in the top 90. Um, I haven't heard much to the contrary. Um, I think really everybody's just still trying to figure out this class and, and figure out where things are at. A lot of meetings taking place here in Germany. A lot of teams have got their entire staff here um, to watch the games. The GMs are here. You know, there you see them all, and this is such a um, this is such a, a an important thing, um, you know, for them to be at so that they can get a, a real good look at these players. Um, but yeah, it's just it's tough. It is really tough for SJHL guys to be picked. I'm just kind of looking, trying to figure out here. Um, you know, they just tend not to get picked out of the SJ very often, so. Um, I think that's probably a big reason for it. Now, let's say he moves over to the USHL next year or to a, to a, a league that has a little more eyeballs. And he, if he doesn't get drafted this year, that really does improve his chances, but he's not a player that's on an elite track right now. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, teams are going to consider, 
as well when they're talking about the draft and, and whether or not to take a player. But, I mean, no question he had a sensational season this year. I'll have to do some more video work on him myself before, you know, really saying one way or another. But um, it's really difficult for players in that kind of setting um, to be uh, to be picked. And, and, you know, his season is over now. I'm sure based on his number in central scouting, I assume that he's going to get invited to the combine, and that could really help his case. Um, and so – uh, that could that could be interesting, but yeah, but you know it's it's always difficult th- those guys in the lower leagues, and you're just trying to figure out you know how much you can buy into, and no question that you know Connor McGrath has at least done himself some favors this year after not playing anywhere last year. Last one on the 2022 draft specifically comes from Mike Craddy. If there is a particular prospect you could see any team trading up for in the first round, who would it be? Really difficult to predict that, but I will say that there are some teams that once we get closer to the end of the first round, if there's a guy that they think will be there in the second, but they're too low to get him, they may try and package a bunch of picks to move up. And I think one guy that that could be possible for is Yuri Kulich, who's playing for the Czech Republic here in the under-18 worlds right now. He has five goals. He scored a hat trick against Canada. He has an absolute blistering shot. He's played well in the in the Czech Pro League, but not amazingly well where where you know he's had like record production or anything like that but he is a very interesting player overall and his performance at this tournament is a great last impression for him to leave on these nhl scouts so in the in season this year 14 points in 49 games um you know he's got six points in the tournament so far through three games he did play uh did make the u20 team this year and had one assist and i know he he wowed a lot of people with his, you know, we only got two games of him, but we got to see what he's all about. He's a very good player. Um, he was on the under-18 team last year, only played in four games, didn't get any points. But this year, he's he's the guy that they look to. And his power play weapon is a, is a blistering one-timer. Um, and that has made a, made, made, made a lot of, uh, it's helped him a lot. So the question is, you know, what do you buy into his pro games, his games against his peers, all those other things. Well, you try to take them all into account. And I would say that he is very much in the mix to uh, be a late first round pick. You know, and if there's a team that, that wants to desperately wants him, they may have to trade into the first to get him. Um, and, and we'll have to see, you know, like that, those late first round deals sometimes can really be uh, pretty, pretty savvy. And also, you know, they, they help a team get, get a guy that they don't want to let slip into the second round and, and maybe not get. So I would say that Yuri Kulich is, is a guy to watch as, as a trade-up kind of pick um, in this draft. So thank you for the question, Mike. All right, more about prospects. We'll start with a little bit of college prospects here. Uh, this one comes from Tiernan. What are your thoughts on Jacob Dobesh in his freshman season? Is he a legitimate goalie prospect for the Habs moving forward along with Frederick Dickow in Sweden? What are Dobish's strengths and what areas does he need to improve in? Well, Jacob Dobish had an incredible year for Ohio State. And I would say, yes, he is absolutely a legitimate prospect. He's a guy that is worth watching. He has great size, great technique. He, you know, for a fifth round draft pick, you're loving the value that you're seeing from him so far. Played last year for the Omaha Lancers. Played very well. Got into the playoffs, and you know they didn't they didn't do as well there. But he had a good season. It wasn't an earth shattering season this year. A 9.34 save percentage in 35 games as a, as a freshman 
Um, playing college hockey in one of the toughest conferences with one of the most skilled groups of shooters that you would ever want to face. So Dobesh is absolutely um, in the mix there uh, as, as, a, as a legit prospect. I think, you know, what does he need to work on? I'm not a great goalie expert. I can't really tell you. I think what I see is that this is a guy that's just hitting his stride as a as a young player that's figuring it out and that has good defense in front of him, but he sees, still sees a lot of shots. And, um, you know, I think that he has good technique and, and a good base of skills. I mean, this is a guy that's been in North America since 2017-18 season. He came over and started playing in St. Louis and, um, you know, then went to the North American League, did well there, got called up to the Omaha Lancers, did fine, and then became their guy. And then ultimately um, was picked by Montreal. And I, I mean, you know, really didn't have the, the profile of a guy that you would normally draft in 2020. Uh, but then he's really rewarded them with, with his play so far. Um, so I would say that he's absolutely a guy that, that carries a lot of value. Um, you let him stay in college for a year or two more before signing him. Let him continue to, to build that up. Um, and then, you know, to have uh, a Danish goalie in Frederick Dickow, who did play in the Olympics this year and played uh, well in, you know, his one, his one appearance, but, you know, uh, played in the Allsvenskan this year, big-time numbers, uh, 930 save percentage, 18-9-0 record. Um, you know, played in the qualification series as well. Um, so he, he had a, just a tremendous season. So those are two guys where you say, okay, well, we got, they're both fifth round draft prospects. I mean, the they're both huge. And so I think you're looking, both of them are, it's all about upside. It's all about upside with those two guys. You're waiting to see what else they bring. And I think you're really happy with where you picked them, what they've been up to. Um, so I, I like them both. And then Tiernan also asks, as a second question, if you have time, which are the other Habs prospects that have NHL potential? Farrell, Biondi, Struble, Tux, Milanic. And I would say they all have uh, pro potential. I mean, it's just a matter of getting putting things together. I think Luke Tuck has had a bit – he had a bit of a tough year. I'd like to see him bounce back at Boston University uh, next year. I think there's plenty there um, for him to, uh, to, to put together. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's got the size. He's got, you know, the grit – um, you know, he can score too. Um, I think he's gonna be a down the lineup guy. Jaden Struble, you know, ha him coming back to school is big. We'll see if he ends up deciding to sign or if he's gonna go the free agent route. Obviously, we thought that could happen with Jordan Harris. It didn't. Um, the fact that Kent Hughes has two sons on on Northeastern certainly helps the, the general managers. So he's got Jack Hughes, uh, um, who will be in the draft this year. I think for Struble, what I would like to see is him take a step offensively. Um, hasn't really been a major producer in college. He's done fine. He's good, good enough two-way defender. Want to see him be, a, you know, even meaner, more physical. Um, he had a lot of penalty minutes this year, but I, I want to see it. I, I don't want him to do it that way. I want to just see him uh, play, play a, a good, steady game where, where he's a physically intimidating defenseman to play against. He's just a superior uh, strength, just superior strength to his opponents. So. Um, you know, I want to see that in that next season. I like where he's at um, in terms of his development. Um, and then, you know, I think Sean Farrell, it's always going to be a size concern for him, but I love his speed. I, I think that he can really um, make dynamic plays and, and, and has good vision and, and excellent hockey sense. So I got a lot of time for him. Um, 
And then uh, Blake Biondi, I think, had a real breakout season this year. Um, one of those high school players, we say, okay, is he going to take that step? And I think that he has. Um, I think he's going to take an even bigger step next year, and that's going to be huge for them. Uh, I thought that his line with Dylan James and Quinn Olson was one of Minnesota Duluth's most consistent and most threatening lines on a game-to-game basis, and, and I like him a lot. And then Ty Smolanik, he's you know in the transfer portal, um, you know has has a chance to go somewhere else. We'll find out where that's going to be, um, and you know I think he's got tremendous speed and strength. Uh, I just would like to see you know him make some better plays, make a little bit more refined plays. Uh, but he can score too, so so I like I like him a lot. I think that's going to be a good situation for him. At El Cabrante asks, Hobie Baker winner Dryden McKay signs with the Leafs. Could be a great situation in time. How do you see him projecting playing behind such a strong D in the NCAA and making the next step? Well, that's the big question, and I'm glad that somebody took a chance on him and the, uh, he signed uh, an AHL contract with the Toronto Marlies. So he's not with the Maple Leafs essentially. Um, he, he is, and you know, he's in the organization, but he's not under NHL contract. So this is a show me situation. This is the time. So, and of course, as you probably know, Dry McKay is currently serving a, a six month suspension for sanctions of, uh, you know, doping allegations. It was determined that he had consumed a product that had, that was contaminated by a banned substance. Um, so it was, a you know, a great job by everybody to get to the bottom of, of what happened. Um, but it was, you know, it was a secret during the Hobie Baker process and everything else. And only a few people knew um, the NCAA did know, and they were able to clear him for competition and there's no risk of, of losing any of that. But I do think that we've got uh, some really interesting uh, things to think about here um, with him in terms of what he's going to be as a pro. And what we're going to find out at the AHL level is how does he handle a lot of shots. As I mentioned in, in the last podcast, the most shots on goal that he faced in a single game this season was 28, which is not a lot. Um, it, in that particular game, it's it, you know it, it is, but when that's the, the high water mark, you know what's it going to be like under constant pressure? What's it going to be like going against pro shooters? He doesn't have tremendous size. There are some questions about his lateral movement as well, um, which is something that has been kind of the, the the book on him from opposing teams try to get him to move laterally it's just that minnesota state was so tight defensively it was really difficult to get passes through the middle you know like the royal road was was a no-fly zone um in in their zone um so those are the questions you have to answer now the other thing that is interesting here um you know the size factor with 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 mckay how much does it matter but i think when you give a guy an opportunity you know, he's a Hobie Baker winner. He was an outstanding player in college, tremendous numbers. And maybe it wasn't all the team in front of him. Maybe there you have to give him a certain amount of credit, right? So I think that the situation that he's in is a good one, that the Marlies have done a nice job developing players. I think they've got people in place that'll be patient. They also have, you know, a good system between the AHL and the ECHL. Like, I, I have a feeling that, that Dryden, just because of the way things are going to shake out with the goaltending situation in Toronto, there's a chance that he's going to be playing for the Newfoundland Growlers for a bit. Um, and that's an okay thing, too. You, all you want is to get him to play. You want him to see shots. And the, the issue is, is that in those leagues, you're dealing with, you know, a, a disparity in talent a, a lot between, you know, the top-end players and the bottom-end players. And so, you know, you're not going to get as 
consistent defending. You're not going to get um, uh, as consistent, you know, as much help as you're used to. So that's the adjustment that he's going to have to make. Um, and at some points, we've seen goalies like Carter Hart in the AHL was only okay. But when he got to the NHL and he had a better defense in front of him, it looked a lot better. I think with the situation that the that the Leafs found themselves in with their goaltending this year with so many injuries, getting a little more depth at that position helps. And that's what I think this that's where I think the benefit lies. All right, so our next question comes from at J Downs9. What is going on with Ryan Johnson? Good question, J Downs. Um, Ryan Johnson is Currently, uh, a Buffalo Sabres first-round draft prospect. He is um, has a chance to return to Minnesota for his senior year. There has been no announcement either way yet. He hasn't signed with the Sabres, hasn't said that he's going back to Minnesota for sure. Um, however, I think the, the way that things are going, it sounds like he is going to return to school. Don't freak out yet, Sabres fans. I know that that... You know, there's still some Cal Peterson after effects, um, and certainly Cal Peterson would have probably looked pretty good. He probably would have solved the goaltending problem that has existed in Buffalo for some time now. But I think with Ryan Johnson, the situation is is he's definitely not ready for that next step, in my view. There's so much more he can accomplish at college, and and they've got they've got Jackson Lacombe coming back for his senior year. You know, they've got other players that are that are returning and then they have a really good recruiting class. So they have to feel like they can win a national championship next year. And they and they can. They absolutely can. Um you know, they may even end up being the favorite going into next year, depending on if they get every everyone back. We're still waiting for Ryan Johnson to take that step and to find that offensive balance in his game because he's a very good defender. He's a, an excellent skater. He's strong, he's athletic. There are a lot of things that that I like about him, but that does he think the game offensively at the NHL level? Does he move pucks at an NHL level? And that's where we're still waiting to find out. I think another year in school will help him a lot. I don't have any insight into whether or not he is going to return for sure or if he's going to go pro. But I do think that he's a guy that still has quite a bit of development ahead of him before he can you know, make good. You know, I, I didn't have him rated as a first-rounder that year. Um, I still haven't seen anything that would suggest that he should have been a first-round pick. But at the same time... Um, I think he could play in the NHL. Uh, you know, I think he could play in the NHL. If he could be a serviceable defenseman, you know, at the end of the day, is he going to be a top four guy? Uh, he, he's got a long way to go before he can prove that. Um, but but he is a good player, and I think that that's you know he's got a good foundation there. And, and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you know kind of where where things go. But I do think that it would behoove him to go back to school, and it would also help both him and the Sabers in the end, assuming that he decides to sign there and. Right now, you've got Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin and, you know, Henry Okiharu and all these other players. And, and suddenly it's looking a bit more crowded. Um, and so that's where, you know, where things could potentially change. At D. Kopitar asks, what do you think of Quentin Byfield? Well, anybody that's followed me for any amount of time knows that I, I, I really like Quentin Byfield. I think that he's a really good player. I think that he is... Uh, only scratching the surface of what he can become. Um, you know, in the NHL this year, 10 points in 38 games, six points in 11 AHL games, a fine season, not amazing, but a fine season. Um, and 
he's always been a guy that's had to get to another level um, once he turned pro. And obviously, he got, had the benefit of going pro early, didn't have to go back to the OHL. I think he probably should have gone back to the OHL um, just to, but, but, but with a lot of guidance from the Kings, because one of the things that I, you know, I'd heard about when he came into their system is that there were a lot of bad habits. There were a lot of things that he had to clean up in his game. And I think that he started to do that. He's taken the coaching. He's been coachable. Um, he's more than just a, a speedster. He's more than just a, a power forward. He, he needs to be a lot of things. And He's learning on the job, which is difficult to do. And obviously the Kings now heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs with a young team, a hungry team. And you know maybe this is the opportunity for him to kind of break out and shine a little bit more. But I really think that that um, Quentin Byfield, to me, is going to be a long-range project. But once he gets to that level, once he gets to that, that next tier of his game, I think it's going to take off from there. Um, so patience remains required. Um, you know, I think if you look at what he's done versus some of the other guys in his uh, in his draft so far, you know, is it overly impressive? Not necessarily, but it, you know, not a lot of guys from that group so far have have made a, a massive impact. You know, really, Alexi Lafreniere is just starting to find his way in the NHL as well, and he went one ahead of Byfield. So, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at, but. You know, some of the other guys from that draft, Jamie Drysdale's been really good. Tim Stutzla, of course, you know, he's been the best player from that draft so far. Um, Lucas Raymond as well. You know, so you're saying, oh, well, they're taking steps. Well, they also had a different development path, um, you know, than, than Byfield. And Stutzla actually got into the NHL right away last year and proved a bit more ready. He had played pro hockey before in Germany, so that helps him make that transition. Um, you know, other guys have, you know, Anton Lundell, lot a lot of years pro in Finland before coming in this year. So yeah, so patience is required with Quentin Byfield. He's only 44 NHL games into his career, um, but it, it'll come, it'll come. So uh, I think he's gonna be a, a real good player down the line. You just gotta be a bit more patient and see what happens with more ice time and everything else that, that he can get going forward. All right, our next question. We're, we're getting close, close to the end here. Uh, this one comes from Tyler. Do you see any of the Red Wings prospects making the wings next year, or do they need some time in Grand Rapids? He's talking about Elmer Soderblom, Simon Edvinson, and Jonathan Uniton Bergren. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, Soderblom um, has a lot. He, he looks really good. He had a great season in Sweden this year. I don't think he's going to make the Leafs right or sorry the the Leafs the Wings right away. I do think that he's going to need some time in the just to adjust to the North American game, get up to pace. Um, you know he's 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 a big man. He has really good hands. Skating is is probably above average for his size, but it's not. You know he's going to have to play at a different pace at this level. He's not going to have as much time and space. That so things are going to have to happen a lot faster for him. I love the player. I always have. I've, you know, I ranked him uh, as a as a sleeper guy in in his draft year when I was at ESPN um, because you, you, when you see a six foot seven guy with hands like his, you're just like, how how is that even possible? Um, and so that's that's exciting to me. Edmondson, he does have a little bit more of that pedigree, but you look at what they did with with uh, Mort Sider, and the proof is in the pudding. There, they didn't rush him. They gave him. The one year in the AHL, 
And instead of waiting around for the AHL to see if it was going to play, sent him to Sweden for another year there. He comes in and he's one of the best defense. You know, he's a number one defenseman for the team with that. I think you can do that same kind of plan with Edmondson. And then you got your number two defenseman on the team. You know, so Edmondson took a humongous step this year, a humongous one. I, I did not see it coming. Um, and, you know, he's dealt with injuries at the end of the season, dealt with injuries, illness, everything else. And, and, and that has slowed him down. So I think that, you know, you ease him back in. Now, I also said last year that I thought that Lucas Raymond needed another year in Sweden. And mainly because he hadn't yet achieved like that top level at Forlunda where they just, he he was too young to play a high role. They had too many good pro players and that the coach's job is to win games. It's not to develop Lucas Raymond. I mean, it is in part, but that's not the primary function of his job. Well, he goes to the, to the Red Wings and he, he, just because he's such a highly intelligent and incredible player, he was able to make that adjustment. And sometimes players thrive in the NHL environment versus the AHL environment, as we've talked about. Sometimes it's because you're playing with elite players. You're thinking the game at an elite level and they, so is everyone else. And that makes a huge difference in your ability to complete plays, to make plays. Um, and sometimes it just flourishes that way. So I think that, you know, the those guys are interesting. I do think Uniton Bergeron has a real chance to make the team next year out of camp. Watched him a few times live um, this year with Grand Rapids. I think that he is one of the... Uh, a guy that I've really liked for his uh, for for a while, um, and I, I had him rated as a first rounder in his draft year. You know, I think it's taken him a little bit longer to get to where I thought he could be, but forty five or six sorry sixty points in sixty eight games for Grand Rapids this year, his first in North America. Um, I think he, that's going to give him a real opportunity to make the team next year, and and I think he's got a chance to make him better. Uh, as well um, a little bit more dynamic you know you put him in the right situation he's going to score he's going to set up opportunities so um, I do think that that's that's the guy if you're looking at those three players that you asked about that's what I'm that's that's where I see those guys going so um, lots a lot there uh, for, for that and certainly if you are the Detroit Red Wings you're super pumped about what you have um, in your system right now because there is a lot of a lot to like there all right, moving on. We've got a question from Martin Devon, and Martin asks, if you were the Kings, what would you do about the right side D? Who would you trade? Who could you get on the left side D for prospects that they have? Well, I think if you're the Kings, what you want more than anything is you want as many defensemen as possible. Um, whether they're right shot or left shot. I don't think you can worry about the handedness too much. Now, it does in situations where you're like, oh, well, Brock Faber didn't come. And that's, you know, what do we what do we do with that? What do, Like, you know, did he not come because he was blocked? Because there are, are so many right shot guys in the system. Um, and that very well could be. But... You know, you look at looking at, at it now. You know, you look at guys. I, I think if they are going to trade players, um, you know, it's probably up the lineup a little bit. Guys that are have a little bit more money um, on the table. You know, you are going to start clear clearing things out. Edler's probably gone after next year. You know, we'll see what happens with Olimata. Um, Tobias Bjornfoot, You know, at that point, then is is one of your best 
left shot guys that you have available. Um, and yeah, but I mean, I would say, you know, you hold on to him. I don't think there's any reason to trade anybody or get rid of anybody because you look at what you have in the system uh, in terms of, you know, right shot defensemen. You've got, you still got, yeah, Brant Clark, Helgi Granz. Uh, um, you know, those are the, the big guys. Brock Faber, right shot. Uh, on the left side, Kim Nusianen. Uh, you know, Christian Willan will be a, a, an unrestricted free agent. These are guys outside of the out of the NHL right now. Um, so yeah, so I, I think you know for for the left side of your D, you're probably looking for you know to address it with, um, you know, short term stopgap guys as opposed to trying to lock somebody up for long term. I mean, I think you know you if you want to keep Mata, you can. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what they do about Edler and everything else, but you know they they managed to do well. Um, but I don't think I if, if I'm the Kings, I just I just hold on to my prospects. I, I want to keep developing these guys. I want to you know have them arrive when they're ready. And if I have to address that left side through free agency on a on a on a lower lower tier free agent, then I'm fine with that as long as it gives those guys a little bit more time to develop. Because I think the Kings are ahead of schedule this year. I mean, I don't I don't think anybody said, oh, they're definitely in the playoffs this year. Um, and that's just, you know, gravy. It's just icing on the cake for, for what they've built over these last couple of years. So really impressed with with what they've done and, and how they've built things. And I'm sure they'll uh, they'll continue to, uh, to build it up. So, all right. We're almost there. We're almost an hour and 20 in. You guys asked a lot of questions, and then you let me babble, and I, I enjoy that. So so thank you for that. We've only got one serious question left and two silly ones after this, and then we're on our way. All right, this one comes from Spinner. What is the best league, in your opinion, to help develop young talent? The USHL, OHL, WHL, uh, or do, and do leagues like the BCHL and the NAHL not get enough attention? Well, the question that I always, the way I always answer this question, it's probably an unsatisfying way, is it really does depend on the player. Every player is different. They'll develop differently. They are going to have their needs met in different ways, and they're, and it's not easy to figure out which is the right path. I've always said that I think that if you are a young player at, say, 16 years old, one of the best things you can do if you're on the fence is to pick a path that allows you to keep your options open. Once you go to the CHL, you can't go to the college route anymore. Once you go to the, you know, but, but the thing is, is that each thing offers different things. Like, you know, maybe you don't have any desire to go to college. There's nothing wrong with that. Go play in the, the OHL. And, and if you do decide you want to go to college, they'll have that education package for you um, when you're in the league and, and you can go to a Canadian university and they're, very good schools. It's, you know, maybe if you're an American kid, you didn't grow up with those, so you have no idea what they're about, but they're good schools. Um, and you have that opportunity to have that paid for by by your team. So that's that's something where you say, okay, well, that's good. Um, and then also, you know, if you're a player that, that, you know, if you're maybe on the smaller side, you want to spend more time getting stronger, you think you need more practice time, you do enjoy school, you know, you pick a route that keeps you on the college track, which is the USHL, NHL, BCHL, um, AJHL, CCHL, all those different you know junior A leagues in Canada and in the U.S. that allow you to keep your options open, and then then 
at 17, you're going to know a little bit more about what kind of player you are and what you're going to be. And you can make that decision of say, hey, maybe I do want to go to the CHL. Maybe I do want to go. There's so many different options available to you. And I think it's just really important to, I, I always say one of the most important traits for a prospect is self-awareness. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses, understanding what you need to be successful. And if you have that, you have a leg up on a lot of players that are just simply talented because there are a lot of players that are talented that they have no idea what kind of player they're supposed to be. They just know the player that they want to be. And that's not the same thing. So you need to know what you are as a player, what you can become, what you'd like to become through what you already are. So self-awareness is important. You know, and I would say that the BCHL in the North American League, do they not get enough attention? No, but I also think that the, the, the scouting they're still getting covered. I mean, I know plenty of scouts that will go down to Texas and watch an NHL game if there's, you know, and usually it's a goaltender that they're looking at or, you know, maybe they'll go over to wherever and and, and there's so many options. So, you know, they people talk and it those players still will find a way. And I think the BCHL is is another league where where a lot of players have have been drafted out of and and there will be more that come out of the BCHL. So I think that, you know, they've certainly produced a few first rounders in their day. And, you know, Kent Johnson played in the BC before, um, uh, you know, before. And then, like, so you look, Kent Johnson takes the college route. Jamie Benn plays in the BCHL, goes the WHL route. They both end up, you know, in the NHL. So, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're a great pass for all these players to take. You just have to know what will, what will be best for you. And then... Um, I do feel fairly strongly, um, and then this, you know, this could be my bias. But, you know, I do think that, that the college route is one of the best tiered development systems because it slows the process down. Because when you're playing in the USHL, most players' goal is to get a college scholarship. Many players' goal is to get drafted in the NHL. Most, you know, you get that college scholarship, and almost the entire league will get that. So you're playing against future Division One players. Then you go to the college route and you're playing against older players. You're playing against, you know, you're 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 not playing as heavy a schedule, but there's more practice time. There's more development time. You get world-class uh, strength and conditioning programs. You get world-class nutrition programs. You get everything kind of taken care of you, care for you. Um, and that's kind of amazing. So I would say that, you know, you guys that, that if you are a player – and you're deciding, I think always give yourself the most wiggle room that you can until you are confident in what kind of player you are. Listen to your parents, listen to your advisors, but also just know, be sure of yourself, and then you're going to know how to get to where you need to get to better. If you if you take your time, you survey the landscape, there's no right answer for any single player. The best players always find a way, no matter what way they go. And as long as the player takes responsibility for their own development, they're going to have an opportunity to make it. So that's it's not always a satisfying answer. I do think the college route is a very successful one. It's certainly like if I, you know, if I was advising a player, it's the one that I would send them on. Um, but then there are also guys that are just so elite that you know they don't they want to get there right away, and that's fine too. So uh, that's it. All right, this next question comes from David. I did ask for you know ask for questions i i didn't think i'd get as many as i did but and then i you know threw in like pizza toppings as a as a potential question and david fine my broadcast partner with the iowa heartlanders uh did send that 
Uh, is ricotta and spinach the most underrated pizza topping combo out there? Complimentary pieces, true two-way players. I'll hang up and listen. David, thank you for the question. Ricotta cheese on a pizza? Now, he's from New Jersey, so I know they do things a little bit differently out there. I Now I want to try it, but I do like spinach, actually, on pizza as well, surprisingly enough. Very good. So, two-way players, I like that. Good stuff from David. Now, Luke also asked a pizza question. This is a very serious one. It's a very important one. We all need to have this conversation. Better pizza town, Chicago or Detroit? Now, some of you may have laughed when you heard that. I, of course, being from Chicago, what do you think I'm going to pick? Of course, I'm going to pick Chicago. But I will say, Detroit is an incredibly underrated pizza town. Detroit-style pizza is kind of the hybrid between deep dish and, and thin crust pizza that is the right mix. I'm not a huge deep dish pizza fan. I'll eat it every once in a while. That's not Chicago pizza to me. Chicago pizza is the thin pub cut style, cut into squares from a little hole in the wall place. And it's amazing. Every single time it's amazing. I'm a big sauce guy. If you have a good sauce, you got a chance with me. But Detroit style pizza is filling, delicious, satisfying and if it's baked properly and they have that little crisp on the outside the best crust going anywhere anywhere so if they if they get that right amount of crisp on it that is that is where detroit puts everybody else to shame is in the crust game so it's it's chicago though because i'm from there and if i said that i would i would not be allowed back in and i i would i would like to go back so it's chicago all right, we finally made it. If you made it this far into the podcast, almost an hour and a half long, hopefully I answered your question. If I didn't, please at me and complain. Um, and then if I did, thank you so much for sending that question in because it, I, we wouldn't have a podcast without you. So thank you for that. A lot of great insight from all of you. Uh, insightful questions, I should say. And hopefully the insight that I provided was helpful. Um, it's been a lot of fun to do this podcast for you. It's been fun to be in Munich Got a lot more to come. I'll have a recap next week. We'll talk more about this this and uh, a lot more written content coming up at Hockey Sense and on Daily Faceoff. So please do check all of that out. And as a reminder, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you made it all the way to this part of the podcast, the code word that you could tweet at me for an, uh, a celebratory gift is Danke, the German way of saying thank you. So, and I'm here to say Danke Shane to you and to everyone else for listening. It's been a lot of fun. That's going to do it for this week's episode. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense, and we will catch you next time.